Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast goes to hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I am Pat. And here we are. Hellraiser Revelations. The first of the legitimately bad move, bad Hellraisers. The 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 Sons Doug Bradley Sons Doug is gone. release schedule. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this one was made just to hold on to the rights, right? Indeed. Like there's direct to video and then there's direct to video. Oh my god, this is only 75 minutes long. It is direct to shelf. Direct to shelf. I remember I did see it in the Target when it came out. But the Imagine. reviews Yeah. Well yeah, when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, this one is just reviled. It was thrown together with uh you know, scotch tape and, you know, chewing gum. Mm-hmm. And apparently it shows. Yeah. Which is kinda sad because, you know, you don't need a lot of money. To make a like uh, like ha- like starting out on a movie, you don't need all the money in the world. Like in, Evil Dead was made with borderline nothing, right? And they made Evil Dead. Yeah, uh, we are the Amityville podcast, and two cost less than one. It was much more fun. Yeah. Um, Hell, there have been a handful of like the uh, the direct to video, you know, nobody uh, involved mm-hmm. making the Amityvilles that have been fun. Yeah. The Christmas Vacation one entertained ah, us. Delightful. Front to back, we that was just that was sweet, and yeah, no money, mm. but still put the time in to make something. Um, Focus on your script, bud. Yeah. If you don't have, it's kind of like uh, when you're a lawyer. If you have the facts, argue the facts. If you don't have the facts, argue the law. If you have the money, spend the money for your movie. If you don't have the money, work on your script. Right. <laughs> Great script can overcome a lot of acting difficulties. Mm. Uh, well, it's literally it's just engaging the audience. If you can get a good script or no budget, then you might actually get work yeah. with budgets. Yes, it happens to a lot of directors, like most. Yeah, like uh, Gareth Evans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, or if you don't necessarily have a script, well, no, I'm going to take that back. If you don't have an engaging character dark drama or what anything. Mm. Uh, you can still have an engaging script that's just a sequence of entertaining beats. Uh, the short films like uh, Ryan versus Dorkman mm. uh, was two high school students put together um, just back-to-back projects of them having lightsaber goals. Okay. And the first one is really entertaining and massively impressive for high school students. Mm-hmm. The second one I put up there as a top five lightsaber goal, like including yeah. actual continuity. Yeah. It's fantastic, and some of the things in it later got kind of yoinked out and used for actual Star Wars movies. But it was the first time I really saw, like, you have the Force. Why aren't you using it in this fight? I'm saying. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Why aren't you doing, like, push-pulls with the actual lightsaber? It would be fun. Right. But, yeah. Have a script. Think things through before you shoot. Yeah. So, this since you brought it up, this is our first Hellraiser without Doug. Doug had played Pinhead in eight straight Hellraiser movies, and according to the Wikipedia, this makes him one of six actors, or, or he, yeah, one of six actors who have played a horror icon six times in a row. Mm-hmm. 
I forget. Did we go over this on the last one? I think we touched on it because uh, okay. we said Warwick Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, we did talk about this before. Damn it. Why did we save this for this one? I don't know. I don't know. Because uh, it yeah. came up. It's a good it topic. But it was uh, Christopher Lee played Dracula six times in a row. Uh, Robert Englund, or the, at least six times in a row. They may have played them more. Yeah. Uh, Robert Englund played Freddy. Warwick Davis played Leprechaun. Brad Durf as Chucky. And Tobin Bell as Jigsaw. John mm-hmm. Kramer. It's tough going into, you know, the, uh, the, the filling in for other people. Like, can you think, like, there have been some notable entries, but they're always, it's hard to view them in any lens other than in comparison. Because, yeah. like, uh, Mark Hamill doing the voice of Chuck I. That was one of the few things I thought was good about that remake. Fair. Um, even, I love Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. And she's great in roles that she cares about, but you could t- you could see the on-off switch on her. Yeah, she doesn't have a poker face. No. Ironically. Like, yeah, you could tell, oh, these scenes she's being charming and funny, but it's not, like, plot-driven dialogue, mm-hmm. so she can just kind of open up and be herself. Oh, these are lines you need to say? Holy God. She- you want robotic performance? Yeah. It wasn't the Chucky doll. It wasn't the Chucky doll. Like, Mark Hamill was a good choice. He was, yeah, somebody, like I said, but I think he was one of the few things that actually worked in that movie. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It wasn't a bad idea. Like I'm curious oh, to watch this great Megan idea. idea. Well, Megan. that's the thing. Okay, Megan is that idea done so much better. All right. And I almost didn't watch it because of how bad that Chucky mm-hmm. take was. But Megan is the guy who did Housebound, which is one of my favorites in the last twenty years. Okay, and literally the day I found out. He directed that. <laughs> he directed Megan. I, I watched it that night and was blown away. It's so much fun. Oh, good, 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 yeah. good. Highly encouraged. Uh, what did you think of Jackie Earl Haley as Fred Krueger? No. Uh, no. Nah. Nah. There's a lot of problems with that movie, and it's hard to yeah. place some blames. Yeah. But I've, one of the biggest problems, and not his decision, although, I mean, his performance encouraged it, mm-hmm. was the sympathy for Freddy. That's fair. Like, I, I wouldn't have done the extended flashbacks, but I thought the angrier take that he had, like, uh, making jokes but really being pissed about everything throughout mm-hmm. the movie kind of helped differentiate him in an interesting way. Yeah. But overall, yeah, no, that movie is just garbage. Just gar- yeah, I, hate, I hate everything about that movie. I feel like it's wrong-headed at its core. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love Jackie Earl Haley. Um, oh, yeah. I you know I mean Bad News Bears of course classic but no like him on a Human Target the DC based show that wasn't bad that was a (laughs) fun damn show I I had trouble I think I watched like two or three episodes because I really I like I I had enjoyed the recent Vertigo run on Mm -hmm. the character so I really didn't like how much they changed it it wasn't as based on that although Mm -hmm. that Vertigo run fantastic oh yeah no and I appreciate making this a TV show where your main character literally is going to be would have to be played by a different actor on every single episode would get kind of tedious but and also I love Mark Paul or Mark Valley. Is yeah. always good. So yeah. I was just kind of like, ah, I'm just not going to watch it. Like, I'm not going to. I'm going to get angry, and so I'm just not going to watch. Gotcha. it. Gotcha. It's a show that owns its sense of humor. Like good. in the second season when they're doing retooling. I went to see season two. Yeah. No shit. Oh, and, good for them. But in the second season, they wind up uh, getting an international investor to help soften the where's the money coming from every week. Is it Robert Bob? 
It is not. Um, it's an Italian woman uh, whose name, whose last name is P U C C I. Oh no! So they they're <laughs> oh, like, oh, the oh. network's making us bring in another character. We're going to call her Poochie. Oh, it's Fox. Oh, yeah, we know what we're okay, doing. That's fine. Like okay. they specifically <laughs> named her Poochie, but I thought it was going to be all you know. Pussy jokes. Oh, God. But Poochie is even better. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, replacing them. Christopher Lee. There have been other Draculas been other before Draculas. and since. Mm-hmm. I mean, afterwards, we had Gary Oldman for the one-off. We had Frank yeah. Langella's Dracula. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh-huh. Gerard Butler in an interesting film. It's interesting. Um, but, uh, like, I, w- I would say, like, you can't even... Like, as much as Kane Hodder owned the role of Jason for a period, you can't really lump him in kind of like this because there have been arguably better Jasons before him, and mm-hmm. Derek Mears and Ken Kurtzinger were not bad Jasons no, they by were. any stretch. I, but they both gave credit to... Oh, Kane. Kane. Yeah. It's absolutely... And I, I'm, I'm not trying to give him any short shrift, but it's just kind of like, there's, because there had been four before him, and there's like two yeah. after him, it's like... But like, it's tough. I, it's weird that he is the definitive one, not just because mm-hmm. those are fun ones... Oh, because of what he did with... Yeah. Yeah. And it's... You're like, how hard is it to play Jason? He he stands with the right madness. He has the right pacing to his... Just... The gate. Wordless movement. Yeah. Or not movement. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he and, creates a character with movement. Mm-hmm. And with... Like... You hear some people, oh, Jackie Chan does his fights this way because of his background in dance. Mm-hmm. Kane Hodder was a stuntman, so he knew Jason can take these hits, so can I. Like, yeah. you see a difference in his physicality from the confidence of years of being a stuntman. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. But good ones before and after. Who else yeah. have had? We even, had? Um, I think I might have mentioned this before, but the movie Mandy. Mm. Uh, the director specifically gave yeah. Kane Hodder a copy of Friday the 13th Part 7, New Nick Blood. Kane, Nick Cage. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I may have had too much coffee this afternoon. I think no I'm talking fast. Are anyone listening on double speed right now? My apologies. Mm. Um, also, the new Chipmunk album is going to be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can probably pitch this back down, but why would I? Nah. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, uh, but he basically said like, okay, for your role in this movie, mostly in the second half of the movie, I need you to watch this, study Jason. Yeah. That's what I want out of you. Like literally gave as an acting note, Kane Hodder's Jason. Yeah. And yeah. in a couple of scenes, you really do see it. Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. It's so good. Ah, fucking it. Mandy. All day long. Mandy. Also, oh, Nick Cage is really fun Dracula. Nick Cage is really fun Dracula. Uh, I showed that to more people this past the past two weeks, and nice. it's like, yeah, this movie's just great. Yeah, it's just great. Yeah. Although, here's the thing: does not pass the Bechdel test until the last five minutes of the film. Oh yeah, like I couldn't, like I had, I could have sworn it's like they had to have named the sister, and we were just, you know, we missed it or something. And honest to God, they don't name Aquafina's sister until the very end of the film. Huh? Yeah. Wow. But so because. Her Aquafina and her sister are talking about things that aren't just men. So it's like we've got the crucial thing, <laughs> except that we don't have two named characters. But I will also say thematically, I'm more forgiving of a movie about codependent relationships not passing the test. Oh yeah. Well, the Bechdel test is not the end all be all. It's just no, kind of it's, like it was curiosity. More, like Moore's law, it was more mm-hmm. of an observation than an actual rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have anybody else that really like 
Tucker. Oh, well, the James Bonds. Kind of like that, those are always interesting. Well, that's a when, hero. To, or, oh, you mean like actually when you take like, a, when you have an actor take on a role after somebody else, gotcha. you know, after a long time. Like, uh, well, it's like kind of like Roger Moore kind of had it better than he could have, considering that Lazenby loosened it and then Roger Moore or Sean Connery rather came back again for another one. And so it's mm-hmm. just like, well, this is all just a mess anyway. Here's Roger Moore. Three films in. Oh, he just sucks. Got it. They got way too silly. They got way too cornball because everyone was like, oh, spy movies are cornball now. Let's just run with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't nuts about Dalton as Bond. He was closer to Bond in the books. He was probably the closest to the book Bonds. Yeah. But the movies themselves just didn't add up for me. I think Daylights is better than I remember it being. I need to watch License to Kill again because I love Dalton. Because you know what he has that none of the other Bonds, not even Connery has? Timothy Dalton has a way of looking at people that immediately says, do you have, ask the question, do you have any idea how much energy I'm expending not murdering you right now? Which is still plan A in my head. Yeah, like... Most Bonds usually leaned on charming, and even Craig could push the charming easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously the Knives yeah. Out stuff in spades. Oh, I love it. Just but yeah. like like his Bond, mm-hmm. you could see him get cold here and there, yeah. but not as cold as yeah the Daltonator. No, <laughs> like it's it's that's why I feel like the rest of it's such a shame because the first like twenty minutes of Living Daylights mm. is like the. And a perfect adaptation of the short story it's based on. Oh. But it's based on a short story that literally is done in 20 minutes, and then there's oh. the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And that was the last Bond film since the beginning. Now, they've gone back to the books to touch on, but that was the end of specifically basing them on okay. the books. License gotcha. to Kill was the first completely original. Yeah, License to Kill, I remember it just being just a straight-up action revenge movie. Yeah, with starring James Bond. And don't get me wrong, the James. It's more so than just like, oh, we have this horror spec script. Can we put Pinhead in it? It's like right. they made it work as a like it works as a Bond movie, yeah. but it's just very focused. I'm angry, murder Bond. Yeah, which yeah, I don't love that. But That's him losing his cool, and the entire point of Bond is not losing your cool. He never loses his cool. Except all the times he does. Except all the times. Oh, wow. Well, it, it's kind of like how in like every, with the exception of one Mission Impossible, it's like, oh, Ethan Hunt has gone rogue. I wonder if it's going to turn out if he actually really went rogue. It's like, after a while, the CIA has to just start relaxing. It's like, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. You say that, but eight, no, nine Jack Bauer seasons of 24 with the reboot, <laughs> and they absolutely trust him all the wrong times, and anytime he's dead on, mm. no, I'm sorry, we gotta hold you down. Like, yeah, it's stupid. Yep. But, so, um, anybody else take over a famous role? Well, there's uh, Steve Martin, well, the Pink Panther. You not only had Steve Martin take over for the remakes, mm-hmm. but even within the original run, uh, Alan Arkin did the TV movie of oh. Inspector Clouseau, which is not Blake Edwards, not, you know, obviously Sellers, surprisingly funny. All right. 
I say surprisingly, un, you know, if you forgot well, the words, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, you know, it's stepping in for Peter Sellers is going to be a challenge was, even yeah. for Alan Arkin. Yeah, a thankless task. Yeah. But it's Alan Arkin, and he's he doesn't even try to do, like... He does a loose French accent, but like sure. he's not trying to channel yeah. Sellers. He's just being funny. Okay, and it and it is. It's better than some of the others. Fair. Um, and oh, go ahead. Roger Moore stepped in to be Clouseau in Trail of the Pink Panther. Uh, that sounds it, horrible. Is it tr- Trailer Curse? It was Curse of the Pink Panther. Um, he had gotten plastic surgery and went into hiding, and mm-hmm. it's. It's Roger Moore. It's Roger Moore level charming, but that whole movie was again not the best idea. I don't love it. Um, oh yeah, we got the Spider Man and the Batman taking over. Even, that's a lot of taking over quick. That's not even living in the role. Yeah, we don't really have like yeah, we don't really have like the definitive versions yeah. of them. Like these guys, like the horror movie guys, it's like mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah. And then somebody else takes over. It's like, like also like a Sherlock Holmes. There's no definitive Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Actor Basil Rathbone would probably be the go-to. Probably, but, but that's because of how many shorts they put out then. Yeah, but so. like, yeah, but you're right. With like the Spider-Man, we get three, and then we get a new one mm-hmm. or two. We get but a new one by movie um, count. Ben Affleck has been the most consistent Batman. That's terrible. I know. I'm not. E- I'm not even as angry about those movies as you are, and that that bums me out. So much. Because Bale had three, Keaton has three. Yeah. Well, but four eventually. Maybe. Oh, they'll put it out one. They'll put Batgirl out one day. Maybe, but (laughs) but they're going to need it to make up for their lack of flash money. Well, there is that. That's directed at the world that gave us the Flash movie and not at Patrick, who, you know, we have had an ongoing debate. <laughs> yeah, and neither one of us have actually seen the Flash movie yet. Oh, I know it's bad. Don't worry. <laughs> but anyway, um, so in addition to that, I did look up, and by look up, I mean found a convenient Reddit who Reddit that did all the work for me. The number of, there have been five, this is Hellraiser Revelations, there have only been five horror films with revelations in the subtitle. Which I thought there would have been more. Yeah, because Matrix not horror. Uh, they don't have revelations in a title subtitle. Reloaded revolution, revolution, revolution. resurrection. For some reason, my brain always has it as revelations rather than revolutions because of you mm-hmm. know the data dump that that second movie was just kind of set it in my head. I I, oh, I love the second one, but there's a giant architect scene in the end of there. It's a lot of information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Into it. Um, actually, this is just movies in general, so I think at least one of them, these is not. But we have Assassin's Creed Revelations, which I would assume is an action. The actioner. Yeah. Is, I forget Assassin's that they Creed. made Assassin's I, Creed movies. I, I couldn't believe there was a second one. Yeah. Or is that the first one? It might be. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, Hellraiser Revelations, Paradise Two colon Revelations. I don't know, not a clue, not a clue. Butterfly Effect Three Revelations, hilarious. I've not seen any of those. I saw the first one. Sure, I enjoyed it. All right, I think the first one was a solid, fun sci-fi horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Silent Hill Revelations. That's the, oh, yeah. the second one, which that's why I thought they had to be more. And I was pleasantly surprised to see Resident Evil didn't have revelations in one of them. I could have sworn. That's shocking. That, right? Yeah. Maybe they're saving it for the next one. Or wait, you yeah, know, the next, when they bring Mila Jovovich back. Because apparently Raccoon City was not worth worthwhile at all. Oh, gotcha. I think it's on Netflix. That's how bad um, it is. <laughs> I know they did a Netflix series. Oh, maybe this, I'm confused. Yeah, about that. which I watched like two episodes of that. wasn't grabbing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very pretty to look at. Does the last Rabbit come out? I don't honestly remember. Mm, it was, That's the thing is it like. It was a lot of things moving around and a lot of CGI going, but I didn't connect or care about any of it. Yeah. yeah so we got, um, I'm sorry, I, I figured, I, I just felt like we should actually name the two people that are playing Pinhead in this one. I forgot that you mentioned. Yes, because guess who can't speak? <laughs> oh no. Steph- Stefan Smith Collins plays physic plays Pinhead physically. And Fred noted uh, voice actor Fred Tatashore is the voice of Pinhead. Hmm. Because you're gonna need somebody it's tough to follow up Doug. Doug is a total package, you mm-hmm. know, with a voice modulator. Yeah. Mean, fair fair. You don't want like I mean a Gilbert Gottfried stepping in his pinhead. Well, you do, but I not do. for necessarily I have such sights to show you! <laughs> Your suffering's gonna be legendary, even in hell! I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it one further. I'm gonna say Gilbert Gottfried doing his David Brenner impression the entire movie. Yeah. Which I can't even get close to, but if you... No, were. it's not It's not hands that call us. It's desire. Oh, come on. That Angel, was pretty good. That was pretty good. Was, yeah. I was just trying to remember. Angel to some, demons to others. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The list. Yes, yeah. the list. It's oh. just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Explore in the further regions of pain. <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, the only thing I was going to mention was other shelved movies. I know we've run long, but I also also know that this is a short movie. Yes. 75 minutes. minutes. Yay! Um, But, like, the straight-to-shelf of Roger Corbin's Captain America and Fantastic Four, I feel like most people Mm -hmm. have heard about by now. I have still never seen that Fantastic Four. It's bad. Yeah, I know. very bad. I know, but it's, like, worse than Josh Trank's? That one I have not seen. It's bad. I, uh, I honestly, <laughs> I have, I have not, I have never forgiven. Like I've taken it out on Miles Teller and Kate Mara ever since. Like them especially. Yeah. Well, because Michael, well, neither of them have even a quarter of the charm of you know Michael B. Jordan or Jamie Bell's foot. So there's that. I'll be honest. I've only made it through about half of the first one, and I, I kind of checked out. I didn't it's see Rise of the Silver Surfer. Here's I've seen scenes and clips. I, I, here. Yeah, I, I I've was seen like say, highlights. Watch the Silver Surfer clips on YouTube because Weta really outdid oh, yeah. themselves on how how good the surfer looks. Yeah, but I was Terrible. I knew that I could Just skip everything else. Utterly awful. Actually, no. Here's the thing. This is gonna. This is not a cop out because it doesn't forgive or even make the movies worth watching. The interpersonal di- dynamics of the FF mm-hmm. are great. Like. 
Tim's story really does capture the old 60s. These guys are just annoying to each other all day long. Oh, they bicker perfectly. Yeah. But like, well, like it's not forced or it's not annoying. It's just like it works naturally. And I kind of appreciated that. Much like in the same way, this like I kind of like the uh, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie has a lot of uh, like this neat mixture of like the early Daredevil and like the Frank Miller stuff kind of yeah. working. There's a lot of Bendis run in there too. Like, eh. There's a lot of Bendis Malieve uh, homages. Well, they that hadn't happened yet. Yeah, that was coming. I mean, it was. I don't. It wasn't he done. Mention Bendis. I don't know. I don't really see Bendis is running that <laughs> run that at all. But yeah. anyway. But yeah, no. How did we get on that? Oh, the shelf movies. Well, then that's the thing is the straight to shelf, like literally the production is never intended to go public. That's the crazy thing on like this and the Corman ones that they basically had to make something. Otherwise, the rights expire. So they've paid for the rights. Mm -hmm. They're not going to let them just evaporate. Yeah. By yeah. make yeah, by making something dumb that they never release, they get to hold on to it. The Warren Beatty Dick Tracy thing that's been going on for yeah. apparently thirty some years. Well, the amazing Spider Man. Yeah. yeah. I mean there were rights issues over Spider Man for years upon years upon years just getting one made in the first place. Yeah. Like I have a copy of the Cameron script at home. Mm -hmm. And that was from like I wanna say eighty eight, eighty nine maybe. Yeah. But like yeah, they just, they're not going to make a $20 million or $100 million Fantastic Four movie to keep the rights, but fifty grand in a warehouse just to knock something out. Yeah, yeah well, but they did. Right. No, I mean, The Amazing Spider-Man oh, was, that was made to ma make sure that like they maintained the rights and, hey, maybe we get lucky. Josh Trank's Fantastic Four movie literally was them making a movie to make sure they don't lose the rights. Yeah, but not doing it the Corman way of let's do it cheap and not embarrass ourselves. Oh, yeah, ourselves. yeah, no. Yeah, no, they embarrass themselves and ruin so many things. That movie is, oh, my God, frustratingly bad. But speaking of frustratingly bad, yeah. let's watch 75 Minutes of Hellraiser Revelations. Yeah, and if you think that we've been putting this off a lot... This on is, the podcast. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> behind the scenes, it's been a few weeks. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, Some have been legit. Yeah. Others I, have I, I definitely was out of commission health wise for a week or two, two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Oh, God. I feel so much better. Yay. Um, but yeah, then we had Father's Day and events and whatnot. And also, and it's Hellraiser Revelations. Who cares? Motivation. It's on Tubi, though. Happy that we're back on Tubi for this week and next week. But, all right. See you in a minute. And we're back. It <laughs> was definitely not as bad as I thought it was going to oh, be. Oh, God, I thought it was bad, though. <laughs> it was it, it was definitely bad, and as we discussed during the film, it was definitely the most Amityville of Hellraisers. This is the Amityville Hellraiser movie. It's where we've got family annihilator, we're stuck in one location, and we have, you know, implied incest. We have implied incest, we have a cursed item, which has been a part of the oh, franchise yeah, 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 for a yeah. while. Also a cursed item. Um, even little micro notes about... 
Amityville movies that didn't exist when this was made, but are touchstones upon what they've done wrong. We'll get to it. I've got notes. What? What is? What was that? Say it again. Um, things that popped up in the Amityville series, even though those movies had not been made before this, uh, they weren't ripping okay. off those movies. Yeah. It's just uh, similar mistakes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, yeah, we'll jump into it, but uh, this is this is yeah, the this most was, appropriate for this podcast so far. This is Hellraiser Amityville or Amityville Hellraiser. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's low budget. It was made on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad improvised acting, mostly and, one location. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, uh, all amateur people we've never seen before since. Mm-hmm. Although apparently the girl Cenobite it was on Agents of Shield. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. But like there were callbacks to things that we may or may not know about. There were clever nods. And I was trying to air quote that verbally as much as I could. Yeah. Um so like again, like the one family is named Craven. Yeah. Um, and the other is named Bradley. What I know. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven famous for his work on the Hellraiser series. I mean they can just be fans. They don't have to be one thing. I know. I don't. I don't feel like naming your characters Craven, Ramy, Carpenter, and such at this point is an Easter egg. I think it's lazy. <laughs> I'm going to have fun with the screen movies. <laughs> there is. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, like. There are ways to drop reference that are fun, and we will probably have this argument a lot. Well, yeah, over there's. Oh, by the way, eventually we have added uh, the Scream series to the docket, mm-hmm. as well as we've talked about the paranormal activities. Yeah. Um, no, we have to talk about this movie. We're all. Re- I'm already forgetting things about this movie that was only trying. 75 minutes long. You're trying to just pour another drink. Yeah, I know. Which this is, is also the first why I'm saying through in a while too. Yeah, this is also why I'm like trying to keep us focused on the task at hand because we've only got me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude, you're falling apart. We got like 20 minutes of coherent pat before you're done. I hope not. Oh god. So when the movie opens with two separate <laughs> fonts. Yeah, it was good. It was Hellraiser colon Revelations and. Revelations appears to be italicized. It's italicized in a larger typeface, and they might be the same font, but they were at least presented oh. differently. I, th- I feel like they were different fonts. Okay. But, but definitely two separate uh, typeface settings in yeah. size and, again, italicized yeah. to open your movie if you want to know the... Karen well I, I miss the well I, I miss like the underlining it used to be like it was like hellbound unre- then underline hellraiser 2 it's like hellraiser 3 underline and then hell on earth not you know yeah. doing like the colon you know there's yeah. nothing unclassy about the having the colon in the actual title screen yeah. you know was, yeah. I don't know it's weird that way but anyway we 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 also have another first for our Hellraiser series. This is the first found footage uh, Hellraiser, which it's partially found footage because we keep cutting back to Nico and Steven's Mexican trip. Mm-hmm. 
Nico and Steve are disaffected white youths. Mm. And so, obviously, they're going to Mexico to have sex with prostitutes. Because, or I'm sorry, with sex workers. Because we don't have sex workers in America. Of course not. Legally. Uh, and without unionization and privatization outside of Nevada. Outside of Nevada. Or Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. My apologies to any of our Nevada listeners. Yeah. Um, we know we know your sex laws. We don't know how to pronounce your name. I mean, it just it's counterintuitive. It should be Nevada, right? Yeah, yeah. but they insist it's Nevada. Yeah, but then again, I because you know they're like they're named after the Sierra Nevadas, right? But we also live in Baltimore, where Holland Town is spelled Highland Town. I'm actually going to say that Blair does not Blair? Ha- doesn't have an e or yeah Blair doesn't have an el right. <laughs> but anyway, Nico and Steve suck. <laughs> they, so they uh, I could never do. quite put my finger on who Stephen was, except for um, stoner kid you would get for like a mid '90s gaming commercial. Yeah. Like, he's the one who's sitting on the couch with shoulder-length hair, about to get, like, bright lights and the wind blowing back as he's trying out a brand-new potato chip. Yes. Like, that kind of sure. slacker tune. The, uh, the the prettier version of Courtney Vance. There you or go. Courtney, uh, uh, no, wait. No, Courtney what, Vance what, was... Courtney Vance, the, who, who's the, um, the kid in Children of the Corn? The Outlander guy. His name's Courtney, too. Oh God! Yeah, I don't remember their names. You you look that up while I give my very short description. Nico, Uh, Nico looks like the Val Kilmer you would get in a box of cereal. (laughs) Uh, A little bit smaller, underdeveloped. It's got mostly the features there, but nobody's paying retail for this Val Kilmer. He's just there's not a lot to him. Yeah, Courtney Gaines. Damn it. Yeah, he's a prettier version of Courtney Gaines. You know, Children of the Corn, like Children of the Corn are Courtney Gaines. We've spent too much time on this. But those of you at home now can look up the name of who we're trying to talk about rather than it just being. Yeah. I mean, it would have been weird for us to describe uh, a disaffected white American kid as looking like Courtney B. Vance. Right. (laughs) And people are starting to look up Courtney Cox and then. Maybe mm-hmm. sort of kind of the haircut from uh, Misfits of Science, mm-hmm. but like later in the run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Jubilee look. Yeah. But anyway, so there you go. So we see in the found foot in, in like shaky camcorder footage. That they Is there trying. any other kind? No. Uh, you're absolutely right. They're driving down to Mexico to get laid and get drunk because, you know, again, yeah. they can't do that in America. And or, or at the very least, they're looking to murder people, I guess, basically. is really what yeah. it's coming down to. They're, they're up to no good. They're talking about how excited they are about the donkey show. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this was before or after Clerks 2. I didn't feel like that was worth looking up either. No. They haven't seen Clerks 2, even if they saw it, yeah. even if it had come out. That might have been Miramax as well, though. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think at that point it still would have been. Miramax had a thing for donkey shows for a stretch. Make of that what you will. Um, but then uh, the found footage abruptly cuts to a uh, middle-aged woman 
closing a camcorder, you know, with the with the screen built into it. And this turns out to be Stephen's mother, Kate Craven, married to I want to say Doug, Doug Craven. I think it is actually like they, they I think split like, the Doug and the Bradley between the two families. Yeah, the one family's named Craven, the one that's named Bradley, and but um, we find out, or, or we you. We find nothing out. You know, you have to like realize things and like uh, assume a lot because the script, which was co-written by Gary Dunnicliffe, mm-hmm. who is still He's doing a great effects artist. He's a great effects artist. Uh, is Ross Craven? Excuse me. Uh, uh, Stephen right, a reference Emma to uh, famously Ross from Friends, going the long way around that Courtney Cox reference I mean, of the Scream and Masters of the Universe franchises. I'm so glad you figured out a made him way to make that relevant. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Connective <laughs> tissue. It's what makes bodies work and as, as we'll see later in the film. So uh, the Cravens are having the Bradleys over. This is Nico's parents, uh, Ross and somebody else. Oh, wait, no. It's Ross Craven. It's, it doesn't matter. The, Dougley, the, the Bradleys and the Cravens. Uh, the Bradleys are coming over to the Cravens' house to have their seemingly annual dinner about how their sons died and or dis- or disappeared and or died. Yeah. And they but have like, no explanations for any of it. And like how many years has it been? Uh-huh. How much like yeah. They just apparently get together every so often to reminisce that our children went missing. Anyway, you want some biscotti? Yeah. They don't want and they they pointedly don't want to talk about it. You know right. the death disappearance, except for uh, uh, for Emma, the younger sister, or the sister of Stephen, and the girlfriend of Nico. Which can we? Okay, I, the Nico thing is stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just they these this family did not name their kid Nico, and oh, they didn't. They named him Nick. He wants to be called Nico. That's what it is. Gotcha. Because okay. he wants to be different. He wants to be interesting. Because he's so frustrated with being raised in uh, generica, as he calls oh, it later right, in yeah. the film. So he's like, I'm not Nick anymore. I'm Nico. It makes that character make so much more sense. Yeah. And I, I know people named Nico. And that's... I'm not it saying... It is a name. It exists it and it's fine. But the way he presents it was sort of like it. he picked this name like he wants to be the guy doing 70s disco remixes of popular film themes. Oh, yeah. This is not a knock on people named Nico. This is like the movie. Those parents did not name their kid Nico. No. Absolutely like, not. Uh, no. I'm sorry. No. Stop and, it. People choosing their own names, obviously, you know, not an issue. This kid. Yes, it is. I'm making it an issue. In this. No. In general. Okay. You chose your own name. You're wrong. Nicknames. Oh, and it's a Nico name. All right. It's a Nico name. You don't get to choose your own Nico name. You don't get to choose your own Nico name. So they have an uncomfortable dinner until Emma drops all of the exposition in like this like two minute breakneck uh, series of questions. It's like, mm-hmm. where, where did they go? Why has it been so long? I forget all of the details from it. Though. Oh, it's... I mean, it's all the stuff we're going to talk about that fills in the plot here and there. And, yeah. like, we got the information out of the scene. But, like, there's no time for anybody to chew dinner or scenery during, like, 
massive, massive exposition. I literally had the note exposition dinner as well. Yeah. Um, I do have a few things from before that of that, like when they were doing the home videos, they're showing like, hey, here we are driving into Mexico. Oh, no, our car's been jacked. Like there was a very sharp edit of like, we're headed towards the border. Oh, my God, our car has been jacked, not stolen, jacked, which is usually when you're in the car and it's taken from you at gunpoint. But still. Um, Again, like, they've never been out of the suburbs. Yeah. Like, they basically filmed this whole trip to Mexico sub-movie, mm. thinking, I guess, that they were going to come back on parts of it. And I mentioned the Rules of Attraction sub-movie in the middle yeah. where, you know, the, the European Kip trip. Yeah. European trip. But they rightfully left that down to the important bits. Well, yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, okay. So it was them going down, cut, the car's been jacked. Cut to Nico fiddling around with the box for a second, and then the mm. video stops for well, the opening. And Nico's fiddling around with the box, and the lights start flickering, walls start shaking, things start getting hellraisery, mm. and Stevens trying to figure out why everything's going weird. He says there. I made the note. I don't remember who said what, but basically one of them says, "Well, there are churches nearby." Um, that's yeah, not Nico, the churches. Nico's hearing church bells. Steven says there are churches nearby. Yeah, but also lights are flickering and everything's shaking. And he says, legitimately considering the lights and all that, that's not the churches. And it made me think of the Monty Python sketch where the churches were making their way through town. I don't remember that one. Oh, uh, yeah. Like you can hear the church bells approaching <laughs> as the churches are attacking. <laughs> but like... That was Monty Python, not Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah. And we also get, like, our first little glimpse of Pinhead right there in the beginning. Rich, which my is, note on that. Uh, sorry. Uh, he, he basically, Pinhead in this, speaks like one of those um, end of Magnolia, or the Magnolia Tom Cruise motivational speaker. Okay. Like, he's, it's a whole bunch of nonsense Pinhead-esque things that add up to nothing. Yeah. Hell and heaven can be yours. You just need the spirit. Like, I don't know. It just... All right. Yeah. It's I would, all completely I gone, hollow. I wouldn't have gone with Frank Mackey as the example, though. That's Because yes. uh, it just is very pointedly about, you know, debasing women and promoting penis. There is that. <laughs> uh, maybe more of the uh, Mark McKinney, Bruce McCullough, telemotivational speakers. Okay. Uh, from Kids in the Hall, but... Basically, the bullshitter with a timeshare. Yeah. That's the kind of dialogue Pinhead is giving the whole movie. That's Oh, yeah. No, I agree. But Hellraiser-flavored. Yeah. But, yeah. So, back to the dinner. Uh, Emma runs off in a huff because the parents, they don't have answers and they also don't care because, you know, they're wasps. And um, there are so you know, this is, we wasps, we lose children. You know, sometimes at birth and a lot of times in teenage years where they just have to go somewhere else because they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. But Military um, academy. Yeah. Or, or, you know, the mental hospital, mm-hmm. the priesthood, the army, somewhere else. But uh, she goes to Stephen's room and stumbles upon the box. Because somehow it's there. Which is weird. And then... This it, was, begins, it was in his old backpack. It was in his bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because everyone gets mad that she went through the backpack that's been sitting since he disappeared, which is long enough that they have this regular dinner. Yeah. And nobody's gone through the bag 
yeah. except for the people who have it and know what's in there. And I've gone cross-eyed again. That's going to happen a lot. Yeah, no, it's bad. Um, she, and, and this is when we start getting these weird little cuts to Pinhead wandering around the uh, the torture room, the, uh, you know, the room with the pillar and everything mm-hmm. that we see a lot in the Hellraiser movies. And it all, they make it appear that Pinhead is in, like, physically in the box listening mm-hmm. to what they're doing as if he shrinks or yeah. there's like some sort of TARDIS thing happening with the Hellraiser box. It's just it's yeah. silly. Again, one of the things I mentioned while we were watching it was the news radio episode where Jimmy James goes on vacation and has the radio box yeah. on the desk so you can follow everything and has to repeatedly remind everybody, you know I'm not actually in the box, mm-hmm. right Dave? <laughs> Like that, I just kept thinking of that every time. I think Pinhead's actually in the box. I think he is. I think it's like hell is just in this one six by six box. And if we could just destroy that box, we could destroy hell. Yeah, maybe it's more like a uh, Mulholland Drive thing with the old. No, no. That was actually scary. Yeah, that's a legit scary movie. You didn't have to bring that movie up. I don't want to think about that. It's Sunday. But, uh, so she starts, she wanders out to the pool. And then does a remarkable impression of your friend and starts fiddling around with the box. And we do see something that I've never seen in a Hellraiser movie before. And this is on what this is number nine, where the box starts doing the uh, the rise and splitting into two, you know, equal parts. But then she clo- she closes it really quick before it can finish. Mm-hmm. Never really seen anybody interrupt or stop the box from right. opening like that. Which, yeah. All right. Cool. And, and it, apparently it works. I guess it's kind of like burping Tupperware. Yeah. Like a little bit of the hell energy got out to the party because things start getting wonky. Well, that's when uh, Steven shows up. Yeah. Which, where was Steven? How did he get there? Dave, I'm not actually in the box. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't make any sense how he's just there all of a sudden. But he's there, and he's freaked out. It kind of reminded me of... Uh, Jack Noseworthy in Event Horizon after he uh, he goes into the engine and comes out and he's just kind of spooked up until the airlock sequence mm-hmm. and so Steven for like the next 30 minutes of the movie is just sort of spooked and will tell you things about the Cenobites in the box but oh god I don't know what's happening mm-hmm. uh, and then he will take a remarkable turn into just being an evil douche. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Because first we have to do the first of like ten different sequences of our two couples, the Bradleys and the Cravens, asking, all four of them, asking each other, what just happened? What is going on? What do you think is going on? To people that clearly just saw the same thing you just saw mm. and also have no idea. It's like the dialogue was written by a focus group while they were making the movie. Like, we finished a scene. What do you guys think? Oh, those are good questions. Let's put those in. For real. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. It's just, and this makes up at least half of this movie. It's mm. just these characters, which are honestly just fading so quickly, like yeah. the, well, the the older couples, they're the the parents rather. Yeah. At seventy five minutes, you have a lot of padding to get to a future runtime. Wow. Like you have a, we need to put everything in this, otherwise we're not going to make it. 
Yeah. Um, including, and something we, we jumped over because it happens a lot more through it, but there's the entire Mexico trip. I was just about to say, we keep intercutting. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. But it's not, we, we, we drop the found footage part. And, or no, no, we watched yeah. one more found footage bit. There is a sequence, and I think it was right before she opens the box. You're right, you're right. Um, yeah. Looking at it, but like, the family is watching the video. Or she is. I think or she's she, by, she is. She's okay, by, she's by herself. But like, watching the video, oh, because she's really upset about Nico hooking up with the, uh, the Mexican uh, sex worker. Yeah. Uh, if she isn't even a sex worker, she I may know. have just... She doesn't speak English except yeah. except for all of the places where they're saying stuff and she's reacting to it. Yeah. But she says she doesn't speak English. Yeah, these two guys really like <laughs> drunkenly come on like we see them get hammered on tequila and come on to this uh Mexican girl who they like she does she says repeatedly she does not speak English and they keep making fun of her and groping her and like coming on to her until mm-hmm. finally they end up in the bathroom. Uh, yeah, Nico and the girl are in the bathroom hooking up while Steven is in the other room, kind of freaking out, splashing his face with water, but he's got the video camera running the whole time. And this appears to be in the bar. Right. Which is crazy. But Emma is watching the video and reacting to the scenes that aren't in camera. She's reacting to the cutaways of Nico in another room having sex. Well, Steve comes in with the camera. But he doesn't go into that room where they're having sex because yeah. Steve no, Nico comes out of that room and then Steven goes in and finds the girl dead. No, that's the next scene. I'm saying the girl was literally reacting to stuff that was not in the room where Steven was. No, you see Steven go into it because it's the bathroom of the bar, so it's big. You see Steven come in with the camera. He barges into the stall where they're having the sex. And he's got the camera. He was... I remember him leaning on the sink, trying to catch his breath, and splashing his face with water with the camera absently in his hand, and it cutting to else, like, at least a stall, if not whatever, but yeah, that the girl was reacting camera. to something that was not but visible in he, that footage. He has the camera, though. My note was basically... I know. I think you didn't see it correctly. I, I, I marked that they pulled him out Misery Road of people are seeing footage that's not found. Okay. That's how I was reading that sequence. Mm-hmm. It bugged me, so I... Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, but anyway, Misery Road, fuck you. The next day, so it wakes up in the next morning, which is still part of the crazy thing, because, like, they appear to be in the bar, or the bathroom of the bar, and, like, Stephen wakes up on the floor of that bar. Which, I gotta believe, even in Mexico, they're kicking people out, because it's not a hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nico is freaking out, and uh, Steven assumes that uh, the girl was a prostitute and was asking for money or something. But it turns out that, no, Nico was freaking out because he has murdered her. Mm-hmm. And she's just, she's a bloody mess mm-hmm. in the stall. And a lot of back and forth about what if anything to do about it and you know Nico just thinks she's just trash and Steven just kind of goes he's freaked out but he goes along with it and then uh, for the rest of the Mexico trip he's just like I don't know why I'm still here and I'm with him 100% why are you still there other than you know their car got jacked right (laughs) they're on a definite very bad things string of misadventure yes because they're bad people. Yeah. Um, 
The uh, so yeah, then we cut back to the quote unquote present, and Emma fiddling with the box, and Stephen has returned, and oh my god, what is happening? But then, uh, the ne- I think the next Mexico sequence is them in another bar, and Stephen is just still waffling, and Nico is saying how she doesn't, she's a statistic that doesn't matter, and then a vagrant shows up with the Hellraiser box. And, like, this guy, you can smell how bad he smells through the television set, and yet mm-hmm. they let him sit at the table with them for, like, five minutes, talking nonsense and talking them into just taking the box. Yeah. Uh, this guy looks like somewhere between uh, the guy who asked, what's your pleasure in Hellraiser 1, um, and Rickety Cricket uh, from later seasons of Sunny. I just kept seeing Mark Shepard. You definitely we, we like, looked. Yeah, you looked it up specifically because I could neither confirm nor deny. It like, was crazy. It was very Mark Shepardy. The the hair and or yeah, the nose and the hairline and everything. I had to look it up. Is this Crowley yeah. from Supernatural? And mm-hmm. mercifully, no, because that just would have made me sad. Yeah. Now I think by the point this was made, uh, he was already a over all over Supernatural. He had yeah. done Firefly. He had yeah. done Galactica. Mm-hmm. Has he done Trek or Star Wars? Um, I don't think he has done Star Wars. I don't think he's done Trek. He's and been on Doctor Who. He's definitely been on Doctor Who. He's been on X Files. Yeah, uh, he was like season one or two of X Files. He was the Firemaker. He was yeah. the Fire Guy. Um, the worst fucking episode, but he was in it. Oh. It's a bad episode. I don't know. I'm a sucker for Amanda Pace. I'm a sucker for Amanda Pays, but that episode, um, well, first off, it was such a bad one that introduces Fox Mulder's Afraid of Fire. He's afraid of fire. (laughs) Except for never again in the series, which means if we're dropping that part of his character, we don't get Amanda Pays back. I mean, this is is just like how, you know, Jason's afraid of water. Yeah, (laughs) but they brought that back for Freddy vs. Jason. Freddy's, Jason's never been afraid of water. That was what made it so... That's like the one flaw of Freddy versus Jason. When Jason is drowning in Jason in Friday 1... Okay, yeah. He's definitely afraid of that. Okay. Literally, <laughs> every Friday the 13th afterwards, he's drowning people and going into water. It's you have to one, face your fears. Jason has an arc. Honest to God. He like... And he's just... Freddy makes like this sheet of water falling down and Jason can't go walk through it because I'm afraid of water. Well, by it this point, Jason me. is back from the dead and he's a vampire. You can't cross running water. Uh, he's not a vampire. He's God's holy enforcer of Reaganomics. It's still better continuity than we're dealing with here. Oh, yes. Where are we? Back to one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then we start getting cuts to hell and we get introduced to Nailhead. Yeah, Nailhead, who is explained by uh, Pinhead as he's putting the nails in and then the flesh. No, he's put. He's using the nail. Kinda... He's using the nail to put the flesh onto his body. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but he explains the fleshy fleshiness of his fleshy did it. It's this bed. He, he's like birth is pain. Each nail, each new square of flesh pulls you from your former fleshy existence. Mm-hmm. That's that's how the subtitles wrote it. There may have been some interpret misinterpretation 
But he is saying flesh in this twice in the same sentence. Yeah, that we rebound to verify flesh was used twice in one sentence, yeah. and the it was away from flesh towards flesh, like yeah. contradictory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fleshity flesh flesh. And also, we see in the background uh, the new chatterer is a girl. Uh huh. Which fun? Yeah. Still not passing that Bechdel test. This movie. No, she's a chatterer. She can't really name yeah. characters. And also, the uh, the two moms and Emma are only ever talking about the two boys that are missing. Absolutely, because yeah. you know. But we don't want to talk about it. But let's talk. And neither about one it. of them are named Kevin. No, <sighs> thank God. But anyway, so Stephen is kind of passed out uh, on the couch. They're freaking out because how did he get here? Why aren't the phones working? Where are the cars? Or the cars are screwed up somehow, and they can't get away. And also the landline, like the cell phone's not working because they live out in the boonies. Uh, the landline is not working. Meanwhile, Emma flips the, the box it, like diagonally, and everything gets weird for a second. And mm-hmm. then it's like, He's kind of like the goblins at the beginning of the labyrinth. It's like, now? 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 Mm-hmm. No! <laughs> Pinhead hits the snooze on the puzzle box. It's just like, it's, it's not the thing that we, it's not the exact, she didn't say the words exactly right, so we can't go yet. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. Yeah. Um, Ready, set, mo. Ha ha ha. Simon says, Pinhead. Yeah. So... <sighs> And this is where my my notes start really going to shit. Okay, so we flash we we go back to Mexico, and we see the full sequence of Nico opening the box and getting the hook, getting the hook treatment, mm-hmm. and disappearing. And then Stephen just kind of stays in Mexico, picks up a sex worker, and then beats her to death with the box yeah. as a bludgeon for reasons. And then there's a then starts hearing a baby crying goes out into the hallway. That's, that's the, later. That's the next sex worker. Oh Lord. no! This is when he kills the. My notes of shit too. Yeah, uh, as he he says as he takes another another swig of the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not wrong, but uh, I will keep us on track. The uh, uh, he beats the sex worker to death. That's why it's like it's so random. He picks her up, takes him back to his room. Where we notice that uh, he's taken the cross off of the wall, and we get like the big outline, the dirt outline yeah. uh, of the, yeah. of the cross. From apparently when the wall had been sandblasted with dirt around the cross, uh-huh. just to make sure its absence was noted. I mean, we got to know where to put it back this when we is get true. the new one. Yeah, it's like where I, my coffee mug goes on my coffee table. The <laughs> ring is there for a Aww. reason. Yeah, it's because you don't respect wood. I respect this spot as my mm-hmm. spot. <laughs> So he beats her to death with the box on the bed where presumably Nico was when he opened the box, when he got, when he got, you know, hellraisered, even though it looked like he was just on the floor in the middle of the room with yeah. the candles and everything. But mattresses and hellraiser. Mattresses and hellraiser. So the blood, so he starts popping out of the, uh, the bed and it kind of works. Like it, it kind of like, it's, it looked, the fresh, the, the skinless no, people look pretty good in this movie. I will say the practical effects. Awesome. Yeah. I like, I thought all the practical effects, the skinless stuff, the mm-hmm. hooks, the gore, like all that, even like opening the puzzle box, there was some, uh, there were some lighting tricks to it that really yeah. worked. Yeah, I think this movie was shot well. 
on the like they didn't have a lot of locations, but they kept the locations dynamic. There was a good balance. Um, the lighting was much better than most of the ones we've watched recently. The color correction actually didn't look uh, okay. Before color bad. You're anyway, saying, I'm saying it looked good, and I think that I think it looked okay compared to some of the recent ones. I thought how the how world eight looked was all good, right. but like yeah. six uh, six and seven, I thought looked garbage. Well, yeah, but now we're on that. Right. <laughs> For this one being a lower budget, <laughs> I liked the look of this much better. I thought they shot it better, and I I definitely think that the effects were some of the strongest in a while. The, yeah, the Gary Dunnacliffe and company did the make all the makeup looks good, and it's a lot of different stuff than we, yeah, we usually they were see. There were like callbacks, but yeah, yeah. Well, we got like uh, like we're saying, Nico is coming through the bed, and uh, it's. It's pretty good because he's only like halfway out and right. it's kind of fun. And then he starts draining the rest of the sex worker. And um, then we get more running around in the present. And I got to tell you, it's so hard to even remember those scenes because they don't do anything. I think, I guess at this point, uh, so we, we, we find out that the Cravens do have a gun. And uh, the Bradley dad wants to hold on to it, but uh, Craven dad says no because you're drinking, uh, which is smart. But they hear they 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 check around outside uh, out front again, and the vagrant from Mexico is there, and uh, he uh, warns them that you know the one who escaped is here, and you know he will come to claim him. It's a lot of pronoun games because you know we're trying to be mysterious about mm-hmm. everything. Uh, Even though we have just told you movie and us that Nico is Frank. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh so uh Daddy Bradley has had enough of this and so he pulls the gun off of Craven Daddy and shoots the vagrant. But then the vagrant gets up and I think oh they go to check him out and the vagrant the vagrant gets up completely fine and then proceeds to cut off Daddy Bradley's face. Yeah, it's awesome. No, no, the vagrant drops in the background. Daddy turns around and the mm-hmm. vagrant stands up and comes over okay, and grabs okay. him. They're all still up by the porch watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, the girls are screaming uh, in the in the foyer. They bring they bring Daddy Bradley in there. And we see that, like, his face is completely ripped off, even though it just looked like he was just kind of cutting on the top. There were a lot of cuts all over his face, yeah. um, but it wasn't skinned like other people had been, even though I thought that they he had pulled the thing off. As He a, pulled something he, off. He pulled yeah. a giant sheet off, but when yeah. he's laying in the house, it didn't look like that. It looked like a bunch of cuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as both of us noted, not a lethal set of wounds... Without bleeding out, and he was barely bleeding at all. Like, yeah. you die from bleeding out from that kind of, like, face injur- injury. You could. He didn't. He did not. No, and then, like, immediately he's like, oh, we're losing him! As if this is ER. Right. And it's like, are any of, what do any of you do? We don't have any idea, like, if they have any sort of medical background. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, we've lost him. He died because, you know, he if he couldn't be pretty. What was the point? Right. And uh, I think then we cut back to Mexico again. And uh, I wait, no, we missed the soup happened first. Well, we did skip. uh, I was going to go back to that. Um, There's a bunch of like air quote quiet character time uh, where Emma takes Stephen air quote 
um, a bowl of okay. soup that he asked for. Uh, there's no spoon. Uh, we both made the ah joke. Yeah, yeah. No, because he keeps drinking from it, the bowl creepily. Like yeah. he keeps like dead eyeing Emma, his mm-hmm. sister, and just like yeah, I'm drinking. Yeah. I'm drinking. He's like how I drink this supping soup. his soup. Ugh. But like he drinks it that way. Uh, she winds up drinking it that way, and then the audio team apparently wasn't really looking close because there was definitely you, you caught yeah. a soup clank as he the, sets the it spoon, aside. Yeah, you hear a metal spoon on a bowl. And yeah. it's just like, there has to be more. There, There isn't a spoon. Yeah. There were definitely crackers, though. Mm-hmm. You put, there are crackers on the plate. Or yeah. uh, the soup dish. Uh, but, yeah. but that's secondary to the real point of this scene where it gets super Amityville. Uh, yes, it does. They just start Making out. Uh, well, there's yeah, like a well, lot of face touching, and I missed you, and why did you leave me? And, and oh then his God. hand goes right into the shirt. Uh, and well, first is the making out. Then well, the making out, then the order of operations. But, like, they're hooking up, at which point we started going back and forth again of, hold on a second. Are they brother and sister, or is she Nico's sister? Yeah. Or what is the dynamic? And you looked up on yeah, IMDb, the up. character names, to verify, no, no. They are okay, the two sister. of them are brother and sister, and this is happening right now, and that's not really a part of the conversation like it would be in an Amityville. No. Uh, but it was kind of like, oh, familiar faces. Ah, yeah, that's right. We are still doing this particular podcast. Yes, we are. And uh, the minute he starts, he, like, he sticks his hand inside her shirt, and the minute he, like, starts feeling her up, she gets visions of her breast being skinned in hell. Yeah. Like, just being flayed off, which, mm-hmm. again, ooh, Not different fun. and terrible. Good for you guys. Yeah. This is what we want in a horror movie. Um, but, that, yeah, then the vagrant shows up. Right. I mean, uh, and two micro notes before that, uh, just because things yeah. to make fun of for the movie. Um 75 minutes, there's a lot of padding, as I've already mentioned, but somebody says, in a word, no. Yeah. That was uh, Nico and uh, Steven in their hotel room where Nico is still fiddling around. He hasn't opened the box yet. He's fiddling around with it, and Steven's like, can't we just go home? Haven't you had enough? Hasn't this been enough? In a word, no. Yeah. Spend four words to use one. Let's get this runtime there. Yeah. We got, we got the space to fill. And then the other part, uh, you had mentioned that the cell phones went out. I did not realize they had cell phones because this movie came out in 2011. Um, and again, was shelled for a stretch. But uh, there's a sequence where after hearing the term Cenobite, Emma looks it up in a giant print dictionary mm-hmm. and... That's, I had to know what year this came out as soon as I saw somebody looking a word's definition up in a print dex- dictionary. For real. And it was two years after the release of the iPhone. Yeah. And they're rich people. They're very rich people. They're very rich. Like, they are a house on a road. You don't even see another house. Yeah. You don't even see the road. They are, our kids disappeared in Mexico rich. Yeah. And we're not in jail. Right. <laughs> but, uh... As they're bringing in, bringing in the Daddy Bradley for his death scene, uh, we see a hand pick up the shotgun that was left outside. And this, of course, of course, turns out to be Stephen 
in his pajama pants. And I love that, like, the whole rest of the movie, he's just in his pajamas, you know, doing yeah. this whole thing. And uh, he, he, he shoots Daddy Craven in the gut. And so he will be uh, Mr. Oranging for the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. yeah. With far less conviction. With far less conviction. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just as much fidelity to real life. Because I think one of the best, or one of my favorite little, like, comments in a review for Reservoir Dogs was, was like, and um, uh, Tim Roth has bled out more blood than three human bodies contained by the mm -hmm. end of the film. It's like, you're not wrong. Well, he bled out for everybody in this movie who bleeds out none at all. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, but anyway, and both again, both Miramax like again, company Miramax. synergy, company synergy of it. So, uh, Stephen, uh, having shot his father in the gut, launches into a tirade where he reveals that he is in fact Nico. Wearing Steven's skin, which, much like every other time in Hellraiser and also for Face-Off, you know, these bodies don't match at all. No. The voices change. Like, I, I appreciate in Face-Off, like, they try to, they, they give an explanation. None of it makes any sense. Absolutely not. But, but they, they spend do, the time. But they spend the time saying, hey, this is why this works, this is why this works. Let's get to the part where they switch spots and it's fun. Right. Somebody said, we need to at least look at this. Yes. Um, whereas most of these, it's just somebody's looking in a mirror as they push their cheek just under the eye, mm -hmm. then they slide their forehead around a yeah. little bit, because those are two parts of the skin that give you that effect without having to do any actual effects work. Yeah, I mean, you're cutting all of the connectors of the skin to the body. Yeah. Also, you're somehow doing it, like, seamlessly. Right. Which is always amazing. And, like, you're sliding this stuff around, even though it's got to ideally attach to, like, eyelids and such. Yeah. And I've done, like, latex, you know, makeup stuff. And if you're pushing and dragging around the latex on your face, it's going to ruin it. Yeah. So, like, every time in a movie somebody does this, I want the makeup effects guys to run over and say, please stop. Please stop. No. In the real world, this would, this is just a movie. <sighs> well, I, I swear to God, I'm directing the next one. Well, I was like, like you see, um, like old behind the scenes footage of, uh, Boris Karloff and Frankenstein or, uh, Dave Bautista more recently in the guardians of the galaxy movies mm -hmm. where it's like, they can't even sit down. They have to like, they give them like a little lean to where if you have to, if you can't be on your feet for, if you've been on your feet for too long, here is a lean to where nothing will touch anything. Yeah. Because everything is going to be screwed up if anything touches anything. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, <laughs> when you talk about the eyelids, it reminded me of, I love the gag in Mission Impossible 3 where they put the Philip Seymour Hoffman mask onto Tom Cruise. It's the only time they really show you the process of putting it on. Yeah. And they do, like, it is a great effect. There's, like, there are hidden cuts, of course, mm -hmm. but Ving Rhames putting the thing on, putting little final adjustments, and then it's Philip Seymour Hoffman finishing the scene that Tom Cruise starts. Mm -hmm. It's a really good gag. There's, I know you're hit and miss on the, especially the later parts of the series, but three oh. and four are so good. Oh, no. One through four are amazing. It's all the Christopher McQuarrie ones. I'm not hit or miss. It's Christopher McQuarrie 
is terrible with these Mission Impossible movies. We overlap on three and four. I like the Macquarie much more than I hate one and two. One, one grew on me. It took me forever, but I finally started liking it and also realized that I've been a closet uh, Brian De Palma fanatic my entire movie watching career which gotcha. that kind of crept up on me it just like started looking at like the, the the filmography and I'm like wait I do love all of these what the fuck uh, Mission Impossible 2 is the weakest of them no argument it's still a John Woo movie and the thing is I put 2 over 1 oh, because of the definitely. John Wooiness oh agreed but like the plot of number 1 does not make sense I have found a way to make it make sense, mm. but it does not make sense at all. When I saw one, I in the first ten minutes, the character that's from the original series betrays everyone, is shot, and then drops in a river and is air quote dead. I'm like, well, he's clearly not dead because body dropped in a river. Yeah. Um, and if he's not dead, that means he's a part of the plot, which means he's a fake, which means blah, 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 blah. Oh, so that's the end of the movie, and then everything else was red herring for an hour and a half. Yes. And I was like, once I knew the plot before all the red herring, I'm like, you're just wasting my time. And I got so mad at that movie. By the time they came around and said, just kidding, I'm like, you know shit. Yeah. I was really mad at that movie. By oh, the I agree. Oh, dude. It took me like five times watching it before I ever noticed or found where they say, say what the knock list is. Yeah. Like, they never even, like, reveal what the acronym stands for, except for, like, one screenshot of a computer. Yeah. It's like, what in the fuck is this even? Why do we care? No, I agree. Yeah. But it's still, one is still better than any of the fucking Christopher McQuarrie ones. They just are. It's With not a franchise we're doing on the show. <laughs> we have seen them and are firmly in our opinions, so watching them together could not go well. Yeah. yeah, we've we, we've started to learn what movies we can watch together and not. Yes. Anyway, so, so it turns the, out Stephen was Nico this whole time. Yeah. At which point uh, he starts revealing things like, uh, "Oh, I shot you, air quote father, not my father, because my mom, Nico's mom, yeah, was Nico's having an affair was, with you, yeah. or did have an affair with you, or something at some point happened. Yeah, and also you did this, and you did this, and goes around and reveals all of the dark backstories of each character that had sure. not really been no. into that. They're not really that dark, or I mean, they're they're not pleasant. They're, they're not bad pleasant, family but they're drama, just, but they're not. They're just people. Like yeah. uh, nobody like yeah, there there's no real abuse here. The affair sucks, but yeah. it's an affair. But like go the, out and get your own affair. But the way the monologue went reminded me of uh murder by death. A little bit. Um just not so much the actual revealing of stuff at the end as when uh Lionel Twain I still love that name. Yeah. Uh he lives at two two twain. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> uh I'm a Neil Simon fan, can't help it. Dude, murder by death's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but when he's, he's like, the problem with all of your novels is you keep all of these in, bits of information from your readers. The, you know, the detective gets to the end and can put everything together because you never told us that they had the affair. They did the this thing. They did the that thing. And the detective spills everything out with a big reveal that the reader could po never possibly have put together. It's lazy, terrible mystery writing. 
And this dinner is basically like, hey, third act, here's all the backstory you needed. Yeah. It uh, Oh, it's terrible. It pisses me off <laughs> every time. You know, ironically, a movie that does the opposite, does what Lionel Twain would want, but I, I don't think would ever get credit for it because it's so bombastic and silly and over the top. That first Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movie? You do. You honestly do see all the bits, but that's it was a it was a good Sherlock Holmes. I, movie. I think it is. It's kind of funny. I, you know, I'm precious about my Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I, I was like super like uh, like because yeah, I, I would be the like going into it. I would assume it's like, well, this is going to be fun, but mm-hmm. it's going to be stupid. But then yeah. the fact that it's like, no, you see, and it, not only that, but you do see Sherlock. They always give it like a couple seconds more time every time Sherlock has come like seen something for the audience to okay make a note of it Mm -hmm. because he's making a note of it he's making a note and it's a yeah it's a clue for the audience saying pay attention but it's not being as overt as and i enjoyed the hell out of the bbc sherlock series Mm. um but when they would do like the CSI mind vision yeah stuff that's a bit much oh yeah beautiful mind ish or the the psych right because it's like okay uh Sean has Sean has an eidetic memory, and he's very very clever. All th- both things that could right. totally be a thing. He also has telescopic vision somehow, because yeah. it's like he's seeing things <laughs> that it's like, look, even zooming in, I'm barely seeing this. Right, it's ridiculous. It, it always stood out as sort of uh, Wally Coyote going out onto the cliff edge that's very clearly painted different. Mm, fair. It's like, hey, audience, notice. Yeah. Like, no, just let us see that the character sees it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nico starts going off, has, like, he continues his big monologue and also explains that he's doing, <laughs> it's almost like the Repo Man thing, where it's just like, you know, I made all these choices consciously, but I still would like to blame society, my family. For why I'm the way I am. Right? Sort yeah. of thing. I'd like to blame society. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck society. Society's already fucked. Yeah. Uh, but so he reveals that his whole big plan is to trade Emma for himself. Because, uh, well, Hellraiser and yeah. trades. Which have only worked once. There's only been one trade that worked. Yeah. Because, like, and, um, even in the first one... They don't, they barely, they agree to maybe the trade will work, but then they immediately go, no, we're taking you two. And she just get Kirsty gets herself out of it. Right. But in uh, Hellseeker, number six, the trade actually works. Right. Uh, but at that point, I feel like that's when Pinhead says, all right, we need to look at these contracts now that we know that this is a problem. Let's, let's fine tune this. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and I love that, like, Nico keeps stabbing Daddy Craven with the shotgun in the gut. Because, like, yeah. it's like the whole he's doing this whole monologue tearing everybody down, and then he pokes the guy in the gut where he's been shot. I'm like, man, you are just mean. Mm-hmm. You meanie. Uh, this movie sucks. Uh, but it was better because all the, all the violence is really good. Like, the skin, the skin face is good. The hamburger of the gut. Yeah, the no, gut great. Wound. They're, they're great. And I then, had no complaints about the effects. Yeah. And then we oh, we get Emma to open up the box 
And it seems to kind of like take three or four tries. Like it's almost as if you you flooded the Hellraiser box because it keeps popping up, going down, popping up, going down, popping right. up, going down. So it does it like like three you gotta times. let it settle for a second, you know, maybe like pull back the choke a little. You're flooding hell. You're flooding the Lamarchand configuration. It also helps us remember the definition of a puzzle box. Yeah. Because somebody's actually for the first time ever having trouble with this thing. Yeah. It's like fun. I I can solve a Rubik's Cube. Good for you. It's, it took a lot of practice. It took a lot of, like, figuring out, like, learning the algorithms, then processing them, then making them instinctive and such. Sure, sure. Um, but there is a solving process. Nobody solves this box. No. They, they literally hold it, and then they wind up touching the circle, and as soon as they go uh, counterclockwise, the thing opens. Yeah. Yeah. And... Earlier in the film, it was one of them, Nico or Steven, was saying, like, I think oh. I've almost got this figured out after having had the box for a day. Mm-hmm. He's almost figured out literally the first step. Because the first step is the one that opens it. Yeah. Which I did. So he's had a whole day and he hasn't actually done the counterclockwise thing, so I don't know what he thinks he figured out. Well, this guy does present as somebody that couldn't find his ass with two hands <coughs> on a map. But I do... Like, not in this movie, but in a different story, it could be fun because uh, the novella does, Frank, it does take Frank the better part of a day to solve the box. It's like, they, they point, like Barker pointedly uh, writes, it takes X amount of hours before the first part comes off. Right. Because it's, because the hell, the actual, or the box described in the book is just this uh, lacquered black box that has no seams on it whatsoever. Right. So you just really got to fiddle with it. Well, obviously this is different because of the way we've seen it in the movies. It's just yeah. rub, rub the spot that makes the box open. It's not a metaphor. Not at all. Neither, neither, neither. So we are okay, there. Go ahead. No, after, no, I mean, I'm just saying like in these movies, people consistently and regularly figure out Move your thumb in a circular direction. The box will open. Mm-hmm. And again, they, these are two guys who drove to Mexico for a donkey show. It's because they can't get laid in America. They're bad at sex. Quiet part loud. Just saying. Yeah. It's Hellraiser. There's no quiet part. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's. I think it's the first time where anyone's legitimately struggled with this thing. Yes. And even then... Like, even in number four, when Angelique gets, like, the, the the stocky yuppie guy in the basement. Yeah. Like, he, he's, like, he's shirtless, and he's, like, I'm getting it. And it can't have been more than a half hour. He would have bolted by that. Yeah. So, yeah, even him. Because, again, they're bad at sex. Uh, so. So I think, the, really, the premise of this series is be better at sex. You know, or at least... Yeah, be better at sex and or don't get bored with it because well, otherwise you're going to end up in Hellraiser land. People in this franchise who get bored with sex usually don't have a consistent partner. Mm-hmm. Some of them have. But usually it's about I'm into all this really kinky stuff but I can't find someone to settle down with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably is. You might like the kinky stuff but um, you know this isn't like $20,000 pyramid. You have to give and receive. Yes. So, yeah, I oh, think it's... I would never go near the Hellraiser box. Bold mm-hmm. statement. I think a lot of our characters in this franchise are selfish. <gasps> I challenge you to 
cite one piece of evidence. Um, well, oh, I have we'll this put the notepad. Okay, gotcha. That's a lot of. Oh, they're falling apart. So, <laughs> so we are in hell. The whole family, everybody that's still alive. Man, did Daddy Bradley luck out by getting his face ripped off? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he was out of there before he even really knew what was going on. Yeah. So, uh, Pinhead. You know the dialogue for Pinhead here when he's doing the summation. Is not bad. It's delivered poorly. But I, I thought this was a lot more coherent than when he's talking about the fleshy flesh bits. A lot of it still felt mad libby to me. Oh, it's definitely people imitating a thing that they aren't 100% good at. Like, they know mm. the parts, but they don't 100% know why the parts are there to do what they do. Right. It's not completely Mikey Love Beach Boys, but it's mm-hmm. getting there. Yeah. Um, but he is, like, but once again, the, the, the Cenobites are serving their proper function where they have been called, they are here, and uh, we, they're here to pass judgment and or experience your bodies. And so, uh, Nico tries to argue for the trade, and Pinhead's like, the fuck are you talking about? You're here. We're taking you. Yeah. It's like, what well, trade? She, she no deal, Kirsty. Yeah. And he's trying to say, well, she opened the box. And it's like, yes, she did. She's got talent. We're going to send her back out into the world and let her turn into the freak mm-hmm. that, that we're going to be interested in. We've gone through this before. We found kids that as proxy opened the box. They're like, it's been a couple movies. Maybe you haven't yeah. seen it. Have but- you not seen Hellraiser 2? Excuse me, Hellbound. Yeah, like really you're catching up on this franchise and that's the one you skip? Yeah, for real, dude. Just do do, do your homework. That's yeah. all I'm saying. These uh, were kids that probably had not done their own homework. They probably got notes from their parents saying, please pass him for this test. Yeah. And Pinhead pointedly says, okay, I'm going to give the summation. Everybody shut up. This is Pinhead's moment. And then uh, Nico's mother starts begging for Nico's life and he immediately rips her throat open. Which, again, Gary Tunnicliffe and company just saved yeah. all of it and, for this sequence, and it was great. Yeah. And ripped the throat open in a, in a, almost like the, the, the same kind of like T split that, uh, is for autopsies that yeah. also matches the one less than named Cenobite from the first two. Deep throat. Right. Yeah. I kind the, of the remember fe- the, the actual the term, but yeah. Oh my but God. like that kind of split opens up her throat. And, but, like, yeah. you see the blood gushing out. She actually bled. Yeah. I'm like, hubby. Should point out, because we completely skipped over it, and I, I am angry now. We did skip over the part where in Mexico where Stephen picks up the other sex worker. Oh, right. Yeah. For, for specifically for the juicing this time. And uh, he starts having, he is choking her to death when he hears a baby crying and immediately has second thoughts. And Nico comes in, still skinless, but wearing a hoodie in Mexico. So, you know, he smells wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a heat comment. That's not a comment on the Mexican people. It's just, it's hot in Mexico and he's got no skin uh, and he's wearing a hoodie. I'm sorry. I wouldn't have taken it that way. It's oh, no, that, wasn't, no, you, that yeah. wasn't for you. That was me covering my ass. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, I don't know where glands sit, like, above or below muscle. Yeah, oh, good point, good point. It just, it, it's a lot of meat. 
that's it's a just lot of meat and a lot of heat. A lot, yeah. lot of meat, a lot of heat. Actually, that probably makes sense why they were able to pull it off in uh, London, or I mean, in quote unquote Brooklyn in the first one. Larry wouldn't have smelled anything because it's all cold. And so, you know, Frank's not going to stay up the place. But anyway, Stephen gets on his moral high horse because, again, a scene ago, he bludgeoned another sex worker to death with the box for Mm -hmm. no apparent reason other than I'm depressed and uh, says, we can't do this. She has a baby. And Nico proceeds to suck her dry. And then you pointedly hear the baby stop crying when, like, bones snap. And yeah, like, and yeah, Stephen's in the hallway. You hear whack, whack, snap. And then Alan Alda walks out of the room holding a chicken <laughs> and just shakes his head and walks down the hallway. <sighs> it's very depressing. It's a weird ending. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lot of use for the MASH TV show, but it's fine. There, uh, I just no, it, it's yeah, not a bad show at all. It just, it's just one I grew up on, and there's yeah, yeah there's there's yeah. some absolute greatness to that show. Oh, sure. God, that is a brutal final episode. It's a tough one. I, I have seen that the, the ending, the conclusion movie. And yeah. it was good. It's it's a great episode, and it's very emotionally devastating. Yeah, except for the, like honestly, the last twenty minutes where it turns into that last five minutes of American Pie, where the All American Rejects are playing, and everybody just everybody who's had a line in the movie takes a moment to nod at every other character that's had a line in the movie while the five minute damn song plays. I am proud to say I've never seen any of the American Pie films. Um. There's some good stuff in there. There's okay. legitimately good comedy in there. That's fair. It's it was such a thing when I was a kid or when I was in high school. Everybody mm-hmm. was just going nuts for this movie, and I was like, I don't care. It's weird because I'm cool. they're teen sex comedies, but they they legitimately have a decent amount of heart. Mm. Except when they decide to really have heart, it's so overwhelmingly just saccharine. Mm. But like most of the rest of the movie, there's actually like a decent like character spirit to it. Just once they decide we're going to lean in on the message now, oh god, god, please stop, please stop. We get no, no, you had it, you had it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But um, so and then after that, uh, we we have the last scene in Mexico where Steven's like, I can't believe you did that, and it's like based on what at this point, and. Uh, Steven says, I'm out of here. <laughs> I knew you'd, you'd like that one. And uh, But before he can get out, uh, Nico bludgeons him and removes his skin to start wearing, to pretend that he's Steven, which, uh, you know, we've Again, been... Again, Frank version two. Frank version two. But then uh, after he leaves in Steven's skin, skinless Steven is somehow still alive. Despite oh, having... Just skin Steven. oh god bless that movie um and uh which you would die if all of your skin was cut off right well somebody else in this movie died with not all of their skin yeah i know i'm just trying to think like in real life though oh that that would kill you that would just kill you in this entire franchise multiple times that's killed people um less yet again in this specific movie, a guy had his face cut up and died. Yeah. So we see Steven's skinless hand uh, reach for the box, and then it's revealed that Steven is actually Nailhead. 
And that is, you know, every time he gets a new patch of skin, he gets, uh, you know, becomes more of a real Cenobite. Mm -hmm. It's a merit badge in a way. It's a merit badge in a way. Oh, I like that. And uh, which actually brings us back to uh, Mommy Craven's throat being ripped off. Uh, Nailhead quietly walks over and cuts a piece off of her face and starts nailing it to his face. And Mommy Craven is really not having a good time at all about any of this. But so Pinhead finishes up his summation now that he won't be interrupted. Wait, Nico's mom was the one whose face was cut off. Mommy Craven was the one who, because dad tried it. We're we're going to get to it. I'm Uh, just, again, I'll Yeah, 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 no. No, we're almost there. I'm the one jumping around because, again, like my notes started to fall to shit. And I oh, this movie—this th- is one of those movies that, because it has so little going on, you don't feel like you have to pay attention that much. But then has just enough going on that you have to, like, you have to really think about what happened. Yeah. So, uh, Pinhead, uh, Pinhead starts hooking up Nico. And he's like, uh, yeah, one, we're not, we don't trade people. Two, the girl, we're going to let her go out and ripen into the freak that we would be interested in, which mm-hmm. is, I like them sen- like talking about that in terms of the psychology yeah. of the Cenobites. Yeah. And I guarantee her third album is going to be a departure. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, just total blues album. Like, didn't right, coming. but like... Soul I don't film. know. There, she's going to do things with distortion that people from neither scene have actually really heard. It's tight. The yeah. sh- it's it's really tight. Um, and so uh, Nico is hooked up, and uh, Pinhead's looking around. He's like, "And uh, yep, I think we're done." Oh well. First, before Nico gets hooked up, when he realizes that the plan isn't going to work, he tries to sh- shoot Pinhead, and then it's like, "Yep, click," and then he just goes, "Shit." And then the Best hooks. delivery of a line in the entire movie. It really had it is. Underlined. It's really good. It's so good. Shit. Just literally, just like I'm going to take down the villain. Shit. Yeah. And um, so uh, when he gets hooked, he drops the he drops the shotgun, and Daddy Craven, who is still bleeding to death this entire time, uh, manages it manages to snag it and shoots Nico. As he's all hooked up in the in the heart, and so Nico says thank you and dies. Pinhead nonplussed and immediately says, "Do you like? I love the. the this is where I think the dialogue was kind of good because it's just like, do you have any idea the eternity of agony that kid was about to suffer? Like it would have made like satisfied your need for revenge." A thousandfold, mm-hmm. and then some. And now you took that away from us. Now we can't leave without bringing somebody back. Yeah. The debt must be paid, which is a rule that I is pretty new. I think it's more uh, the phrasing is new. I, I think they, like in the first movie is like we can't go back alone, right? But it's the calling it. I think it's just terminology because it's like we it's had just, a guy. And now we don't have a guy. We we need a guy. Right. It's just consistently, like, they do not pick the innocent of the room. Yeah. Um, mm. So that, it, I guess, implies that, you know, she had yeah. well, problems. Well, we, we, we skipped Sorry. over this yes. part. Where, uh, so Daddy Craven's like, well, take me. And it's like, Finn, it's like, you're 
like a minute away from dying. Of course we were not taking you. Yeah. Your it's wife, like, though, mm-hmm. is going to suffer forever now. And she immediately gets hooked up and dragged away. And, man, that sucks for her. Yeah. <laughs> because. Did nothing. Not a part of anybody's mistakes on any of this. No. Barely had a character. Yeah, like they pointed, like Pinhead point, like points out that none of the adults have desire anymore. Like they couldn't yeah. have opened the box if they like, wanted to. You weren't even a part of the affair that was mentioned earlier. Like, mm-hmm. well, I guess of all the characters here, you're the most innocent because you were given the least to do this entire movie. Yeah. But also, it could be inferred based on their usual criteria that she has some darkness in her. Let's benefit the doubt. But it, it, it would have to be. Us inferring because it's not even implied. She's yeah, just a she's character. literally just somebody there to be yanked. Yeah, and yank they do. Oof, poor woman. Hey, the great effects. But then uh, the overwhelmed uh, badly. <laughs> and yet you've never seen that movie. I've seen the trailer a hundred <sighs> times. It's so good. The young carpenter from Nazareth. I knew him well. That badly. <laughs> you just killed my wife. Is that wrong? Hey, these things happen. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing with my night. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, save it for our Castle Rock run. Okay. Or just watch it again because you've seen it. Yeah, that's what I mean. I will watch it first time then. Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, we flip back to the real world. Uh, Daddy Craven bleeds out. And it begs his daughter for forgiveness, and she says, I love you. And was like, but why? And um, so then it's just... To quote the episode of Get a Life where, and topical for when we're recording this, but probably not by the time this comes out, Chris and his dad put a submarine in the bathtub. (laughs) And in the middle of the episode, uh, Bob Elliott looks at Chris and says, you know, son, I know uh, this looks pretty rough. I just want to let you know I love you. Oh my God! You've never, you haven't said that to me in years or ever. And Bob Elliott just looks up and he says, "It's amazing what you'll say to get into heaven at a time like this." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, that may not have been cool, but and, and the episode is hysterical. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, when you talk about topicality, yeah, it's like oh, hopefully everyone. Hopefully, let's see. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they're back in the real world. Emma is left with nothing, and yet simultaneously everything, because she's the sole inheritor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she... Oh, soul? The soul uh, inheritor. You're just, you're just a terrible I'm person. I'm giving this you're movie too much credit. Person. Um, but then she pointedly grabs the, the Hellraiser box, and then looks directly into camera. And scene! And movie. And movie. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. We actually got. We've totally um, talked longer than the movie. Basically, the runtime of the movie. Uh, yeah, the credits would have been rolling right about now. So, I guess if you want to go back and watch along with us as we do all this, it'll make no damn sense. It's on Tubi. Yeah. For free. And pause during commercials or whatever. You're already on the other side, though. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I'm going to point out something. It is. It's something that has happened over the 50-plus episodes we've done um, that we routinely have to, like, double-check ourselves and correct each other on things that have happened in the movie. And we did this a lot for this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We're watching these movies with notepads. We are both. We're not taking notes, though. I I got a shitload of notes. These are my notes. All right, it's a little thin, but you're also um, you're better at remembering a lot I, of the I, things I than I am. I remember a lot of things. I am not. Yeah. I am definitely in need of oh, notes. Oh, we missed the face. We didn't talk about the face rip. That was really good. There's it like, was a very good one. There was like this really good effect where I don't know where it really fits in the movie since it kind of doesn't make any sense. Where it's Steven in hell and they just rip his face. Just they they cut him on top. Mm-hmm. On the top, like by his hairline, and just pull. Do a peel down. Man, it it's works. one of the better ones I've ever seen. I guess that's just a fantasy Emma's having. Like, like, like a nightmare yeah. sort of thing. I guess that's just where that fits, but it works perfectly because Tunnicliffe is really good. Yeah. And we'll see him take the reins, writing and directing the next film and co starring. Interesting. Auteur Carrie Tunnicliffe. And I, I, really, I like this movie a lot, this next one. Fair enough. Uh, Hellraiser Judgment. Gotcha. Followed by the, the, the new Hulu one. Yeah, yeah the, the, the new Hulu one. The but, Hulu Razor. Yeah. But, like, speaking to, like, scattered notes, and mm. I know I do it a, a lot where I'm like, let me jump back for two or three bits. Yeah. Um, and we have to double check each other. We have to correct what we saw. Like, I saw something different than you mm. saw. Yeah. And we talk during the movie. We're not watching these in a vacuum, like... And yeah. then meeting up after. We are wearing them in vacuum-sealed latex suits, though. Well, yeah, I mean, COVID. How else do you watch movies? Yeah. You know, especially Hellraiser, you need to be in a gimp suit. Ooh, speaking mm. of, and then I promise we'll get back to your point. I tried to show my family the people under the stairs. Like, okay. my, my, my mother, my father, my brother, his wife, mm-hmm. and two eight-year-olds who really All like right. horror movies. We've, nice. watched, we've watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We've watched the Twilight Zone movie, and nice. a co- and I think uh, my brother said they've watched a couple more serious ones. I thought uh, people on the stairs would be pretty good because there's no nudity, and uh, we got like good messages for the kids, mm-hmm. and it's just a weird one. Yeah. Socially relevant still to this day. Socially relevant still to this day, and just a weird, interesting movie to watch, and like mm-hmm. a movie that like like kind of like a labyrinth or a never-ending story sort of thing in terms of like a weirdo type of movie that the eighties would have that you don't have anymore. It was that window between Elm Street and Scream. Wes Craven did some crazy shit. All of it good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Shocker. Shocker. I love Shocker. Love Shocker. But People Under the Stairs is just so special. It's so interesting and weird. And uh, the messages, I think, hold up better than one would would think, mm-hmm. all being like 30 years after the fact. They're kind of being, they're like the like Karen, my brother and his wife are kind of getting a little worried about like the violence, but it doesn't really get gory, gory. Like people get shot, but they've watched Terminator. They've watched Terminator Two. Yeah, I would say it's, it's a, more violent. It is by a long stretch. The minute Everett McGill pops up in the leather suit, they called it quit. They called cut. Really, and they're like. We don't want to show them weird, sexy stuff. And I tried to explain to them, this is ways from Sunday, he's, it's just a leather suit. He's not, there's no sex in the movie whatsoever. Like there's not even an implied sexual element to why Mm -hmm. he's wearing that suit. I think it's just because he's fucking weird. I think it was more of an inquisitor style, like outfit. It was more, 
it, I mean, it was a domination suit, but it was more about societal domination and the racism okay. that, that they were trying to address in the movie. Could not convince them, and then they never finished the movie. It's so good. And That's if, great. Like, That's what I saw been... in the theater, though, at oh, wow. like mall drop-off. Fair. Mall drop-off movies well, yeah. were the best. Yeah. But it's like, I was bummed about that. But talking about gimp suits and stuff like that. Gotcha. That's why it got to me. But we're double-checking our notes. Mm-hmm. Because, which this movie should have. Right. And so, to speak back to that, and to speak to a lot of the movies we reference constantly mm-hmm. on this show, there are movies we can name scenes and sequences. We know them. We can name yeah. characters. We know them. These are great movies. But week after week, you can Ooh. hear which weeks we <laughs> struggle and we're going over our notes, like, constantly to try and remember what we just watched. Yeah. And we just watched it. We literally finished the movie, usually maybe a bathroom break, refit, you know, refresh Honest drinks. God, like, I almost preemptively cut you off when you were talking about New Heart because I could feel both of us losing our memories of this movie, like, yeah. instantly. And I'm like, okay, it's, yeah. okay, no, he's wrapping up. It's okay. It's like, I've learned over, like, <laughs> having edited episodes, recognizing, like, oh, yeah, that tangent cost us some. Um, <laughs> And thank you all at home for being patient with us through yes, this. and for listening. Yeah. But anyway. For some reason, I feel like listening was implied in being patient, and you're I guess right. that's self-deprecating. I mean, I guess you're right. Eh. Anyway, no, but it doesn't hurt. I just think again it's covering like, covering our asses. Yeah, I just think like you know because I know a lot of people don't watch every movie we watch, and that's sort of what we're trying to do is save you the mess. We're eating the sin. We're eating the sin for you yeah. guys. But, like, I, I don't know. It's just I find it fascinating how many movies I can watch to this day where I'll watch it for the first time, and this is a great movie, and I'll remember so much of it. I'll watch something else, and it's pretty forgettable. Yeah. But when we're 50-plus movies in, we're taking notes as we watch it and still are missing stuff and forgetting things and have to double-check it. That's a sign of not making a good movie. Yeah. And it's this is just a weird one to finally like recognize that, but it just occurred to me how much <laughs> we remember on movies that are good. Yeah. That ha- I might not have seen in 10, 20 years, and the one that is literally tw- you know 20 minutes old to our brains, I got nothing, dude. Yeah, no. Uh, well, welcome to the party, pal. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it's just I, I had never recognized it, it, that. It, no, I, we've experienced fair. it plenty. Yeah, yeah. But it's the this is my this is me honestly recognizing for the first time like fuck a lot of these movies are forgettable. Well that that is the the, the that's in my mind that's what makes a movie bad. Like the only sin a movie can make is being boring. Yeah. You can be bad you can be like technically what uh, most would consider a bad movie, but fascinatingly so yeah and i'll just watch you forever like i here's a movie i hate this movie i hate this movie more you mostly because of how much the movie does not work but only partly because i hate myself for i just keep watching it because i just like watching it even though it doesn't make any sense tenet the christopher nolan's tenet movie is terrible it is just balls to the wall Dumb, but it is so fascinating and watchable. It is ambitiously dumb. It is no, because Interstellar is ambitiously dumb. 
because it achieves mm. something. Tenet makes no sense. Tenet doesn't that tell a story. Tenet mm. is Christopher Nolan finally made the stupid movie people have accused him of making uh, since Inception. Yeah, but I <coughs> love it. I keep watching it. Prometheus. Prometheus is dumb as the day is long. I love watching it. And that's, those are like our high classy ones. Like yeah. I was, I was leaning more towards like Moonfall. 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 To go recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's a unique charm to Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Yeah. Um, And it's better than the first Chud. The first Chud, the first Chud is boring. I couldn't believe it. The first Chud is pretty forgettable. I couldn't believe it when I finally watched it. Yeah. It's like, everybody talked about this movie. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's it's just boring. Bud the Chud's hilarious. Yeah, Bud the Chud (laughs) is at least entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Entertainment. Moonfall is a batshit crazy terrible, stupid train wreck of a movie and it's amazing. It's so watchable. It's, it's so, much so completely watchable. I don't want to watch it on my own again, but no. pizza and beer with friends? Yes. Absolutely. Here, here is when the intergalactic squiggle is coming to attack us again. Yeah. <laughs> the moon wants revenge. When you say that, you're just saying it's drifting. No, no the moon is sentient and it's harbored a grudge against humanity since our DNA landed on this planet before we were... I'm sorry. I need you to go back, but I'm not asking you to go back. I feel like we'll, we'll I'll get more if we go forward, and I'll pick things up in mm. context. Like I know that I've heard everything you've said, but what? I guess go on. But could I? This is going to sound insulting, but could you repeat literally mm. everything you just said a minute ago? Well. We have to go up and have a psychic conversation with the moon. We have a psychic conversation. But we don't have the government's authority to do so. So we need to steal a space shuttle and go have a mental talk with the moon. And don't Okay, all the stuff you said before about the personal grudge, I think we need to go back now. Yeah. Like and also because those are not enough stakes or drama, we will be regularly intercutting with Michael Peña on some horrific car roller uh, car uh, car rally trying well, there to get has to be, somewhere. There has to be cars driving around peril in an Emmerich movie. That's true. Um, it's, I mean, usually it's just shit hitting the ground and blowing up around you, but now that Fast tech has gotten... Like, the, the scene where they're driving and dodging shit like they did in 2012. Yeah. How do we elevate that? Oh, the moon's gravity is going to help make them jump 40 feet in the air. But watch out for the Aurora Borealis! (laughs) Moonfall is amazing. (laughs) But I I haven't watched that in months. I've watched only half. And I don't need notes for that movie. No, you don't. That no, movie is batshit front to back. Be memorable. Be memorable. Yes. Be fascinating. Be, be inventive. Weird. It might be the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but you know what? It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's not fifth in line. Yeah. You have just impressed me with how stupid this can get. Okay, recent example, uh, Skinnamarink. I could tell you most of what happens in Skinnamarink, even though I thought it was the, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I have skipped it because... Hearing all of the opinions, I know it's not a thing I'm going to appreciate. I, yeah, I. Yeah. Either you see it or you don't. I don't think your life will be changed either way. Yeah. yeah. For me, it sounds like the experience of watching a ghost story, the David Lowry one. Some people absolutely adore that, that movie. The Alice Creech? 
Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, Casey Affleck has a sheet over him, and he's just oh, kind of wandering yeah. around while his wife sits at home. My brother after likes that movie a lot. A lot of people love it. I hated it. I saw it in the theater. Maybe my brother and just I was just angry. That's fair. Yeah. But anyway, so that sums up our opinions on Hellraiser Revelations. Yeah. <laughs> and also just, I don't know, kind <laughs> of a look back at... What the fuck we're doing with our lives? I mean, we're watching movies and having fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I am. I, I, I am too. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun, and I feel like this was actually a fun movie to watch. It I will say fun. that well, it's a bad movie. Oh, my... But, and also, my expectations were in the sewer, so it had no... True. It had no possible... Actually, I shouldn't say even say that out loud. It could have disappointed me even more, but I was surprised. Yeah. I thought again I a lot thought of things to well, good effects. Yeah. Um, a lot of bad. But uh, we laughed a lot watching it. Yeah. We had a lot of fun watching it, and that's But the minute we hit stop on the recorder, we will not remember anything about this movie ever again. Probably not. I mean, there have been Amityvilles where people like talk about, oh I love this episode when you talk about this, I'm like and sometimes I'm like, oh my god, that movie, let me tell you, uh Honestly, when people mention Misery Road, I remember <laughs> how many of the things I was angry at. Yeah. Um, Misery Road was probably better than this in terms of eliciting response. In terms of being memorable, yes. And so maybe that's not always the best thing. Yeah. But it was at least memorable. There have been other episodes where they're like, oh, yeah, um, the one where people were trapped in a something. Mm. I'm like, I got nothing. Yeah. Um, you you listen to the episode. You tell me how it happened. Yeah, and I re-listen <laughs> to the episodes to you know like do the audio mixing and all that. And sometimes I'm listening. I'm like, oh shit, right? I just listen to them again because I like the sound of my own voice and quality control, <laughs> like putting out the shit I forget to edit out. No, it's pure ego trip for me. <laughs> oh, all right, then I'll skip that shit. I don't know. We're not worried about it. Putting these things up, leaving all your comments about the Dutch. Why? Hey, come on. I meant the Ed O'Neill movie that was really not John Hughes' best. It's, it's likable. It's fine. it's fine. But, like, if you're watching a John Hughes Thanksgiving road trip I movie, mean, it's not going to be Dutch over playing tunes. No. Uh, not at all. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Alright. Until next week, get out. See you in hell! If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. <laughs>